All right, grab your Bibles. Let's go to Psalm chapter number 42, if you would, please. Psalm chapter 42. I preached from this chapter just Wednesday night at my church and then rewrote the entire message, so it's not all 100% fresh, but it, uh, the message really is rewritten here. The Lord laid this one on my heart pretty heavy, and I hope it'll be a help to you. Psalm chapter 42, notice the title, To the Chief Musician, Mishil. For the sons of Korah, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they say continually unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Brother Andrew, would you ask the Lord to bless the preaching tonight, please? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Notice there in verse number 1, he says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. When I read the psalmist here, I can personally, I can relate to what's going on in his mind. I can see the desperation in his soul. It almost to me looks like, and I don't know if you know this feeling or not, I, I think I've felt it a couple times in my life, almost like somehow or another, forgive the imagery, but some massive syringe got stuck down inside of you and just kind of all the life sort of pulled out of you and, and specifically like the spiritual life. He's just in an absolutely desperate spot. And his desperation is for God. It, it, it's as though to me he obviously knows what it feels like to have that sweet fellowship and that sweet communion and that, that fresh flow from the, from the vine into the branch, that that clarity of being right with Jesus Christ and right with the Lord and in communion with God, that, that simpleness when, when you're actually praying. I, I, you've probably been there at some time or other. You pray and it seems like your prayers are answered. You get on your face and you start talking to God and he seems like he's just there. I mean, I don't know if it's happened to you or not, but you ever just kind of like had like a dumb little prayer or something kind of silly and then it's like, whoa, God answered that. And like a big prayer that you prayed that you really didn't think was going to happen, and whoa, God answered that. I mean, that's a great feeling to have. If you've never had that feeling, then that's the message for you tonight. You need to get that feeling. You need to understand what that means. 
It's great to have a taste of that living water. It's great to know that you're serving an almighty God who's alive and lives forevermore. He's communing with you. He's washing you. He's helping you. He's restoring your soul and keeping you encouraged. That's a great feeling, but it's a horrible feeling when that's gone. Man, the devil makes all kinds of inroads, and we talked about that this morning, and gets in there and kind of gets us distracted, gets us pulled away from God, and gets us dried out, gets us kind of desperate. He says in verse number one, as the heart panteth after the water brook. That word panteth has to do with a very heavy breathing, right? It's where the lungs are really squeezing, just pumping for that air. The rib cage is expanding, you're exhausted, you're gasping for oxygen, and you've really been working hard, it feels like your heart's going to come out the front of your chest. You're panting after the water brooks. You ever feel that like where your tongue's sticking to the roof of your mouth because you're so dehydrated? That desperate feeling for a drink? Spiritually speaking, this is how this man's soul is in verse number two. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You know, it's no surprise that in the Christian life, we wind up right there. It's no surprise. You know, you can't always live on the mountaintop. That's just not reality. If what we're doing is real, and it is, and if there really is living water that comes from Jesus Christ, and there is, if the Bible really is that that water, the word of God that washes us, that we need, that's our spiritual life that keeps us alive. If that's all very true, then we have to fully expect that the adversary, the devil, the work that we're doing for Jesus Christ in a sinful world with the sun beating down on us and the pressures that come in serving the Lord, that there's going to be times that you're going to hit that low point. It's going to happen. In my opinion, I think what happens to us in the low points determines where we wind up going in the future. I've seen too many Christians get out in the low times. Too many Christians quit when the chips are down. My attitude is this, and I even used to do this back when I was uh, working a full-time job, and not as though pastors aren't you know, working full-time jobs, but that's how everybody uses the terminology, so you know what I'm saying back when I used to work, you know, uh, a, a regular secular job. I never went looking for another job when I was kind of discouraged because I never really knew if I was making a good decision you understand what I'm saying when the chips are down you're not thinking right when you're dry when you're desperate when you're really stressed when you're really worried when when you really don't have that fresh flow going on at this point that is a time you're going to make big decisions and you're going to make the wrong decisions at that time because you can't think right when you're really dehydrated when you're dry and desperate you're not thinking clearly. And that is when the devil's going to come in and try to get you to make a decision. He's going to try to show up and say, well, you need a new vineyard. Well, you need a new pastor. Well, your spouse is the problem. Your husband, your wife is the problem. Your mom and dad, they're the problem. Your life is the problem. Your boss is the problem. That's when that pressure shows up to start making decisions and you can't really see it clearly. I made up my mind that I was going to quit when I was on top. If I'm going to quit the ministry, I'm going to quit when we're booming. <laughs> you know why? When you're on top, you don't think about quitting. If an opportunity comes when you're on top, 
you know, the headhunters call, hey, we got a deal for you, and you're like, I'm doing super good where I'm at, show me what you got, and it better make a whole lot of sense, and there better be a whole lot of, you know, contractual locked you in kind of deal here, because I'm not just jumping ship, things are going fine. The devil comes in and gets us to those low points, and even the psalmist here is saying, man, my soul, I'm desperate. I'm low. I'm dry. You'll notice when you get dry. Here's the weird thing about it. You'll get dry when you least expect it. Notice in verse number four, he says, I remember these things. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. You know, sometimes when you're really pouring yourself out and serving God and doing the best you can, you wind up getting dry. When he says, I pour out my soul in me, notice the colon. He's not done with the thought. He says, for I have gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. Now, now, as I'm looking at that and studying that passage, that to me looks really weird. He's talking about, listen, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I've gone with the multitude. He's like, I'm pouring out my soul. I'm looking for God. I'm remembering all the good times. Well, why are you bummed out when you're remembering all the good times? You know what it feels like to have the good times, but it's a really weird thing that oftentimes in the good times, the dryness shows up. In the good times, the desperation can come. It's a bizarre thing. That's how you know it's quite demonic. Look at what he's saying. Watch this. He says this in verse number five. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Do you, do you get that? He's asking himself, what is wrong with me? He's not saying, I know the problem. He's saying, why am I feeling like I'm feeling? I don't get it. God hasn't changed. Now, now let me help you out a little bit tonight. There's no, there's no sin in my life. Is that okay for me to say? I know that you know we're Bible believers and in me that is like, well, the flesh will move and thing, and the flesh is wicked, and I'm wicked, and I'm awful, and we're always like putting ourselves down. And there's a lot of truth to that. I'm not saying we shouldn't to get cocky in the flesh and arrogant in the flesh. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But sometimes, as a Christian, you do hit good strides, right? Isn't there good periods where, you know, you have some victory over sin that used to control you, you're walking with God, your Bible reading is good, uh, services have been good, you wait with everybody in the whole, you're looking forward to revival, you're singing it out, you're shouting amen, God's speaking to your heart, prayers are getting answered, you're witnessing, you're passing out tracts, and then randomly it hits you from the bizarre places and you're just like bummed. Maybe I'm the only crazy one in the room. Recommend a good psychologist I've seen. Just why are not cast out? You know what the devil likes to do at those times? He likes to show up and say, well, you're supposed to be thankful. Like, yeah, I know. Actually, I, I mean, I am. I'm just not sure what's wrong right now. I'm pretty dry out. Believe it or not, I, I get that way. Amen. I don't like it. I'm one of those guys that I, I like to have the world fall down around me, and to me, I take great uh, human pride, forgive me, just being transparent. <laughs> I try to take great human pride in watching things blow up and not flinching. I take great human pride in somebody just absolutely losing it, going off on me and being able to stand there while they are and go, 
You and I together, honey, let's both decide that we desperately need and want the presence of God in our life. We desperately need and want that fresh flow of the Holy Spirit of God. We desperately want to be and stay clean. We want to get to know God. Let's serve God together. You and I, let's raise our kids for the glory of God the best we can. And that still gives you no guarantee their individuals will make their own choices. So my daughters, if you guys grow up and serve God, Mom and I, my wife and I agree on this. Mom and I will do our best not to take your credit on ourselves. Like, we're doing a great job. I know of families that had six kids. Three of them grew up to serve Jesus Christ to rock-solid, faithful, good, godly men, loyal to their church, love Jesus Christ. You can count on them. I mean, they're just, they got a backbone, man. They love the Lord. And three of them can tell us about them. Exact same parents, exact same home, exact same upbringing. You explain it. My wife and I can make a decision that doesn't guarantee our daughters are going to, but can you imagine when you got a mom and dad that make a decision we want God? And then you got kids that say, Mom and Dad want God, and God's been so good to our family. Why would we mess this up, man? Yeah. Let's get in on what God's got for us. Look at look at how good God's been. Let's all be a part of this. Let's actually all commit together that we want God. We long for the Lord. We need his fellowship. Let's be that godly family. Let's do our best to be what God would have us be. Can you imagine how God bless a family like that? Yeah. How about a church? You know, your pastor can want God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, with all his strength. Walk with Jesus Christ. Love the Lord. Saturate himself in that book. Win souls. Be a witness. And God will reward him and bless him. But if he's got a church that doesn't necessarily want it. That church all the time. I see it all the time. They're like, we just need a new pastor. You know what they do now? They do this all. We need a younger guy. Folks, I'm telling you, that aggravates the fire out of me. And the devil tries to get in the older preacher's heads and try to tell them, well, you know what? You're not fit in this generation anymore. And you don't understand these young people. And they're all into the technology and social media stuff. And I'm not. I don't have a way to relate to them. And if I'm not entertaining enough to keep up with them, then I can't keep their attention when I'm preaching. And they just maybe need somebody that understands them more. You know, nothing could be farther from the truth. Amen. If you got an old man that's been walking with God for a while, been in the Bible for a little bit, loves Jesus Christ, been faithful to God, he's more valuable as time goes on, not less valuable. And just because the results aren't there doesn't mean he is not the man of God being what God wants him to be. Can you imagine if God puts a preacher like that and gives him a bunch of people that want God as bad as he wants God, how God can bless the Lord. Never imagine a camp like you guys got going, coming out of a church like not. I'm not putting the church down, but you said it yourself. Like we, we're not this big, huge mega church, right? Right. You don't have these right. huge cathedrals and million dollar buildings. We're just a a, a small remnant of Bible believing people gathered together with old fashioned preaching. And look at what God's doing with the camp out in Look at the impact you're having. I know people that you don't even know that know about the camp that say, "Hey, listen, we want to come. We heard about that. How's it going?" from us. Hey, God, I believe is going to bless that thing. I think God's using this thing. I think God's going to keep it going and do something special through Anchor Baptist Church. You've got to stick it out when you get dry because you're going to miss out on something. And those times come, man, that dryness, that desperation 
comes, and you've got to seek God when it happens. And it will happen when you're pouring yourself out in service to God. You notice the title? We already read it. It's to the Son's Accord. Do you see it? When you go over, I think it's 1 Chronicles 9.19, I believe it is. So, you, know, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time. You can look it up later. But you know what they did? Their job was for service at the door of the tabernacle. What like a random, not that important, semi-menial task. All they were to do was to handle the doors. Their the, the father was set over that and they were to handle the door of the tabernacle. I mean, like, you know, they're not the priests. They're not the big shot. They're not the guy getting all the attention. They're just ordained for a simple job in the church. They're like the cleaning crew. They're like the nursery workers. They're like the Sunday school workers. They're like the, the guys running the sound booth. They're like the, 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 the people taking the offering. They're like the guys counting the money. They're like the, the simple behind-the-scenes work in the tabernacle. And he said, you guys, there's a soul just for you. You need to be desperate for God. Because even when you're doing menial tasks, when you get dry, Amen. you cause trouble, you mess up, you give an opportunity to the devil, he makes a breach into the assembly, he makes a breach into your heart, he makes a breach into the church, and when you're really, really, really dry, aren't you cranky? You ever come in a hot summer sun, uh, sunny day, and just you, you realize you worked too long and you didn't drink enough, and your lips are sticking together and you need a drink? What happens to your mind when you're like that? Man, the wife can be in the way you know, get out of the way, I need to drink! <laughs> it's, 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 it's physiological. It's actually something that's it's really dangerous. It's, it's a bad thing. You're super cranky when you get that way. You ever see anybody in church get super cranky? You know what it is? It's spiritual drunkenness. Well, how can he be dry? He's a, he's a preacher. How can he be dry? He's the pastor. How can he be dry? He's a deacon. He's a soul leader. He's important around here. He needs God just like you do. And sometimes when you're pouring yourself out, pouring yourself out, it wears you out. It dries you up. You know revival means to do that to a church? That's verse 4. He's like, I'm remembering going to the house of God. I'm remembering how exciting that is. And we just had a great week. Have you ever noticed what happens after a revival? Happens to a lot of preachers on Monday. I, I talked to some of them, and a lot of the guys say, Yeah, Monday's a rough day. Why? Because you poured yourself out on Sunday. You know what happens to you? You get drunk. My preacher used to say, Never get out the last half of your canteen. Yeah. That, that, that's a, that's yeah. absolutely yeah. great genius. Yeah. Yeah. We pour ourselves out in serving God, and we've had this, this, this thing among a lot of the Bible believing brethren, the, the fundamental movement that kind of went through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and you know, we're running buses and we're doing all these things, like all this activity and we train a whole generation of Christians that it's constantly what you're doing, what you're doing, what you're doing. Do something for God. Do something for God. Get involved. Get involved. We need workers. You know what I tell these people when they come to our church? This is just me. This, you talk to your pastor, but this is just me. What I tell people, new people that come to our church, we don't need you for anything. We don't need you to do anything. You know what we want? We want you to sit down, enjoy the fellowship. If God wants you here, enjoy the preaching. Relax. Get what you need. And God will reveal with time what he wants you to do if he wants you to do anything. But first, just sit down. 
just just get a fresh drink of that living water. Just get some preaching in you. Just get some Bible in you. Just grow in the Lord. Just relax. Just slow down. You know what the devil almost did to me? I was in my 20s called to preach on fire for God. The world's dying. I'd be driving home from work, and I'd be so angry, man. I'd be angry. Because here I am working this stupid job. Selling this office equipment and, 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 and software. I know nothing about software. I'm so untechy, it's not even funny. And I sold software. Anything that connected to the internet, I sold, including like digital archiving, voice over IP phone systems, high volume printers, all this stuff like one big umbrella for everything that has to do with the internet or connects to the internet. I was selling that stuff and I can't even figure out how to change the ringtone on my iPhone. <laughs> That's, that's pretty pathetic, man. You know what I did? I found opportunities and I knew how to ask all the right questions to find all the pain points. And then I figured out the pain points and then I went back to the office and I said, okay, I went to a specialist from each of those departments and said, you guys all got to come to a meeting. I'm not set up. They all came to the meeting. They sold everything, figured out, answered all the questions and I got a paycheck. It was phenomenal. It was wonderful. Still don't know anything about this stuff. I just find the pain points. Here I was selling this super... You know what I was doing? God was blessing me or the devil won. My late 20s and my early 30s, I, it was, I was, man, I was down in the gym. I thought I was all that. It was amazing. It was coming from everywhere. I mean, we were walking through the store. She looked at her dress. She was like that. And I grabbed that dress. Like, she said, you need to check the price tag. I said, oh, not too bad. Man, I was, I was on five nine. In my car driving home, this is so stupid. I could care less about this. Souls are dying in the hell out.
know what God said? Yeah. Well, the God of the devil. God doesn't tempt any man with sin. Can't be tempted with sin, be the tempted to be any man. But he said, all right, devil, go ahead. You think God drains you like that, makes you dry spiritually? Didn't he say, come to me and drink? You'll never thirst again? Did he say, out of your belly will pull livers of living water? You know what? It's not uncommon to happen to save people, the people trying to serve God, the people in the temple doing the work of God. It is not uncommon. It's actually normal. It's normal for you to be backslidden, dry, and desperate while you're sitting in the pew and everybody looks at you thinking you're doing good. You know, sometimes we know why it is, right? There are times that I can tell you exactly what's going on and why. Why I'm depressed. Why I'm discouraged. The hard times is when I can't tell what's going on. Look at Song of Solomon, chapter number 1. Song of Solomon, chapter number 1. I want you to see verse number 6. It's a good example of what we're talking about. She says, Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. You see what happened? She was serving. She is working. She's taking care of everybody else. And while she's taking care of everybody else and doing the right things that it is for her to do, she doesn't even have time for herself. Is there any moms in the room that are relating to that? <laughs> I never forget my wife, man. That was tough. Her pregnancies were brutal. She woke me up like three or four times every night. It just exhausted me. That's a joke. You're supposed to laugh. Every time I say that, she just gets like, Ugh. That's a thankless job being a mom. How about being a husband? How about going to work? Just the mundane, routine drag of going to work tomorrow morning. You know what that does to a lot of people? It wears them out. You come to church, God speaks to your heart, you're trying to do right, you're like, you know what, I'm going to get up earlier, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to take some tracks, God spoke to me, and by the time the week gets done, you're just stinking dry again. You spend all week out there in that world and around those people, and it just wears you out, and dries you out really fast, and there's pressure and there's distractions, and as we're getting closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, it's getting drier and drier and drier out there. You've got to search high and low to find a good Bible-believing church and a good expository Bible sermon to find. You can get all kinds of religious garbage and tomfoolery, but you can't get a drink of the Word of God Drives you out, man. And here you are trying to serve God, trying to take care of your family, trying to love your wife, trying to love your children, and you make decisions that you're going to try harder. You're going to serve God more. And you're thinking that means the Holy Spirit's going to come and fill you up, and instead you just kind of poof, flat tire, man. Can anybody relate? That's reality. And God is so amazing that he wrote us this book to show us the reality of it. You've got a, a God-inspired psalmist here writing the inspired words of Almighty God to be preserved to the very day and preached here in Dayton, Ohio, this many years later, all the way from Israel, way before Christ. He's writing down these things, and they're still with us today, and they meet us right where we live. And man, he's inspired a God to say, I am dry and I can't even explain why and I don't want to be dry 
My soul thirsts for God. I'm longing for the Lord. I'm seeking Him. You know what's funny about that thing is when you're poured out and you're dry, look at verse number 7. He says, Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Now, it's not enough time to develop all this, but just suffice it to say that very much as you study the deep calling to deep and the water spouts and the waves and the billows, that that's a very much typifies the judgment of God throughout your Bible. That typifies a very hard time in life, a very dangerous situation to be in where, where God's not happy with something and he's, he's recognizing, man, deep calleth unto deep and thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. So on top of the fact that he's trying to serve God, he's dry as he can be, he's pouring out himself and still trying to do right, he feels like God's putting a whooping on him. Ever been there? You know what's real aggravating? When you're trying to do right, and you feel like in spite of the fact you're trying to do right, God's putting a whooping on you, and then you look around and watch God bless other people. You look around and you watch what seems like God letting the wicked get away with God only knows what. You know what's so terrible about social media? I'd be willing to bet in a room this size the amount of people that are here, somebody gets to see their ex on social media looking like they're all happy and having a great time. Come on, I'm being real. Somebody gets to see their worst enemy getting a raise, getting a promotion, and presenting it as though their life is so perfect. You're sitting there scrolling social media. You're doing fine. Your day is going great. And all of a sudden, there's somebody you just can't stand, somebody that hurt you, somebody that messed you up, and they look like their life is absolutely wonderful. And all of a sudden, that syringe pulls it all right out of you, just like that, and you're as dry as you possibly can. I'll never forget right before we got off Facebook years ago. It's been, I, I don't even know how long, years ago. I, I, I was having a great day, and that's when it hit me how horrible it was. I was having a great day, and, and you know, we looked at Facebook, and all of a sudden there's this other preacher in the area, and all I saw on the thing was the screen of his feet and her feet with pink toenails on a beach with water behind them. Preacher, right in my area. You, you know what? They have a vacation fund from the church. And they, the church stocks the vacation fund, and they get to go on vacations every couple of months because pastoral refreshment, vacation fund. <laughs> now, if my church tried to establish a pastoral refreshment vacation fund, they know what I would say. Are you crazy? What are you talking about? My, my vacation is preaching. You know, if you want me to get encouraged, just let's say, preacher, hold a revival and just preach every night. You know, come preach us, we'll come. That was thinking, fire me up. I, what are you? But man, when I saw that, it just so happened the devil knew just how to set that thing up. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, yeah, I've got no pastoral refreshment vacation fund on a beach again. <laughs> I'm going to press the bum the preacher out, see? <laughs> That's exactly how it works. You're trying to serve God. You're pouring out your soul. You're doing everything you can. And it feels like, man... I'm trying to serve God, and he's still showing me everything wrong. Look at verse number 10. It's with a sword in my bones. You see that? You know what I thought of when I saw that? I thought of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Don't you love the Bible? Amen. Come on, it's okay. That's not like fake. fake I'm going to be humble. 
Don't you love the Word of God? I love the Word of God. I, that Bible means everything to me. I can't imagine trying to live one more day of my life without my Bible to open. I don't know how I would do what I do. Let alone, I mean, even if I wasn't a preacher, how could I possibly be the husband God wants me to be? How could I possibly even try to be a father? How could I possibly lead a family, let alone a church, through the world in which we're living if it wasn't for the Word of God? You know what that book does to me when I'm trying to serve God? Oh, that hurt. You know what you do? You know what you, it's crazy. My church does the same thing. You come in out of that wicked world. You drive by hundreds in this area of these dozens of these have it your way, fancy, sweet churches with slick preachers that won't offend you, won't make you mad, won't preach at you, won't step on your toes, won't get in your face of the Bible, won't call sin, sin, won't call you out if you're causing trouble in the church, won't deal with things like a real man. You drive right by all those churches to walk in somewhere like this because you love the Word of God and you want a preacher that's going to preach the Word of God to you and you sit down looking for help from God when you're discouraged and God says, your problem is you're not thankful. It's like I'm drying up and then you just Man. You know, sometimes that's gone. Do you know other times it's not? In that verse, in verse 10, is in his enemies there? As with a sword in my bones, right? He's saying all of his enemies, mine enemies reproach me. While they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Yeah, sometimes it's God, but... Not always. Do you remember when the devil began tempting and messing with Job? Remember how he gave him leprosy? Uh, those boils, a type of leprosy? You know leprosy in the Old Testament was a sign you're a sinner? God said, have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, one that fears God and eschews evil. He is a perfect and upright man. Now, God dealt with Job and showed him that he wasn't 100% sinless, Right? But he was the man in that day. That word perfect does not mean sinless. People jump to those conclusions all the time. It means a fit vessel. It means appropriate, of the right tool for the job. You know, you tell your kid to go get a flathead, and they bring you back a, the, the, the other one. What's it called? Phillips, right? You'd know. Yes. Yeah, thank you. I don't know none about that stuff, obviously. They, they bring you a Phillips. That, that's, they bring you back. You say, that's not the right one. Go get, they get a flathead. You say, that's perfect. That's all it is. It's exactly what I need for the job. When God's looking at Job, he says he's a perfect and upright man, right? One that fears God and eschews evil. When Satan showed up to deal with him, you know what he did? He put on boils. He's sitting there striping his skin, and all of his friends show up and say, We well, you know what that is. That's the judgment of God on sin. You're a sinner. And Job's looking at it going, um, Yep, I don't know what I did, but <laughs> you know what it is? It's false conviction. Do you know the devil likes to use the Bible on saved people? Amen. You better be careful when you read your Bible. You better fill up with the living water of the Word of God. You better fill up with the living water of the Holy Spirit. You better fill up with Jesus because the devil likes to quote, quote Bible too. Right. He will use the Bible on you. When he tempted Jesus Christ, do you know what he used? Bible. 
He's saying it's with a sword stuck in my bones. So I'm not sure if God's dealing with him or if the devil's dealing with him. But right there, he says, mine enemies reproach me. So they're looking at me and they're saying, where is thy God? Look back, back at verse number three. My tears have been my meat day and night while they say continually, where is thy God? You see, not only it looks to me in that context like his tears are what's speaking to him. In other words, his own emotions, his own pain, his own difficulties are saying to him, where is God? Here he is, he's broken, he's weeping. He's not even 100% sure what all is going on. His enemies are reproaching him. He longs for God, and yet he doesn't feel like God's showing up. Man, have I ever been there. I will never forget. I, I mean, I, I hope I never forget. I don't think I can forget. A period I went through in my church, and I, it was probably two years, I preached my guts out I mean when, when, when nothing was happening because nothing happened when nothing was happening you know what I did being the wise man the spirit filled man that I am I figured well God's not doing anything the people aren't responding so what I'm going to do is I'm going to buckle down and try harder and the more I hit that brick wall the more I pushed against that wall and the more nothing happened, the harder I prayed. And the harder I prayed, the less God answered. My church did not grow at all for a couple of years at least. Nobody, I can't tell you exactly how long it felt like forever. It was a long time. Nobody answered the altar call. Nobody. I would preach... And I could feel the sweat. I mean, I sweat all the time, as you can tell. So, you know, forgive me. I figured out it is nerves. But it's nerves on top of the fact that I'm a really bad sweater anyways. I sweat all the time. But this was a different kind of a sweat. I could feel it running down my back. I feel it on my forehead. I feel my face burning when I'm trying to give the invitation at the end of the service and getting tongue-tied and twisted up. The only way I can describe how I felt was I wanted to drip over the pulpit slide underneath the carpet and just slime out the back of the church and never come back. And it went on and on and on and on. God, please, nothing. I mean, nothing. It's not even explainable. A low point. Must have been some sin in your life, preacher. Are you kidding me? I was trying to be so spiritual. Praying my guts out. Maybe I gotta study more. Maybe I gotta pray more. Maybe we're supposed to be giving more to missions. Maybe we should be tithing more. Maybe we should be knocking on more doors. We did everything. I'm talking about all the door knocking and hanging John and uh, John and Romans and and little preaching discs and running billboard signs on the highways. We ran we ran uh, two different uh, 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 courses of billboards on the highways. I think it was five weeks in like four or five different locations on two different occasions. We had one visitor come to church from the billboard signs that we ran all over the Metro Detroit area. I mean like big time, expensive, main highways around Metro Detroit trying to reach souls with Bible verses on them and an invitation to church and all those digital billboard signs. Put all the money into it. One visitor and they got mad and left and never came back. <laughs> we did Facebook advertisements. 
where if they click on it, then we get charged and it takes them straight to the gospel and then the invitation to church. And, and so we put a, dumped a bunch of money into that. And, man, the clicks were going like crazy. And I was having constant updates on what the latest click was. I mean, we were doing all of it. We were street preaching everything to try to and, – and, and it just – God froze the whole thing up. That's silly how we put formulas on everything. I think what we do is we keep trying to compare ourselves to the old days and we're not in the old days anymore. Did you hear me? We're not in the old days anymore. It don't matter if you're the best preacher since Billy Sunday. I don't care if you can preach Billy Sunday under the carpet. This ain't the old days. And just because you ain't getting the results doesn't mean you're not preaching Billy Sunday under the carpet. This ain't the old days. You know what God knew? God knew when he was going to have me to be born, when he was going to call me to preach, what gift he was going to put in me, where he was going to put in me, and where he was going to put me. And guess what? I'm here this morning, this evening, by the grace of God. You and I must be supposed to be here. It must be what God has for us. This must be the day and the time that God's called you and I to stay faithful even though it's dry. Or he wouldn't have put us here. So you don't have to quit just because you're dry. And it doesn't necessarily mean anything's wrong. The psalmist is inspired by God giving you a message in Psalm 42 that is a timeless message for human beings that love God and want to serve him, and he was dry. You'll be dry when you're pouring yourself out trying to serve God, and it doesn't make any sense that you're dry. You'll be dry when you get hurt by people. Verse number four, he says, I'd gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept holy day. He's in the right place with the right fellowship, right? Look at Psalm 49, verse 9. I'm sorry, Psalm 41, verse 9. Back one chapter, Psalm 41, verse 9. He said, Yea, my own familiar friend whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. You know what will make you dry? When somebody you love hurts you. That will make you dry. And I tell you this, If you stick at it long enough, you are going to be hurt by somebody that you dearly love. And let me even say this way. Sometimes people that dearly love you will hurt you. Just because they hurt you doesn't mean they don't love you. Have you been there? Boy, I know how that feels. You ever see Paul and Barnabas? You got two, two phenomenal guys there. I mean, two phenomenal guys, right? <laughs> I'd sit at either one of their feet. My preference would be Paul. The dispute between them got so bad they split and went separate ways. You know what God did? God used them each of their separate routes and with time, you know what happened? Ain't that cool? But boy, when somebody you love hurts you, A lot of people quit on God because they get dry in church. They come to church and they would have got a blessing, but brother so-and-so was there. Show up at the special meeting, but that preacher from, uh uh-huh, yeah, they would have to show up, wouldn't they? Ruining my meeting. That's not just somebody making something up. That's my life. Sorry if that's too plain for you. 
I'm that guy that says, get me once, shame on you. Get me twice, shame on me. That's, that's the guy I am, and that's not godly. You understand that, right? Amen. I'm the guy that says, I don't get mad, I get even. That almost put me in jail when I was 17 years old. I told the kid, don't do that. He just said, you ain't going to do nothing about it. And I knew every time I got into a fight in school, it never got finished because everybody jumps on you and pulls you off. It's just ridiculous, man. They're all jumping on you and they're screaming and they're acting like it's the end of the world and trying to pull you apart. It's not the end of the world. I'm just going to kill him. It's over. It's the end of his world, not mine. Relax. So I said, okay. I followed him out in the parking lot. I stayed as cool as a cucumber. You know what that is? That's wicked. That is wicked. Now, I ain't doing that kind of thing anymore, but you know what I do in my emotions? But that rules out the fact that the Holy Spirit of God knows how to change a man's character at times. Here I am holding the past against somebody that hurt me. And God's not showing up. And I'm, where is God? Where is God? God, I want you to bless my church. God, I want you to grow my church. But don't you dare bless his church. Don't you dare grow his church. Because if you grow his church, that makes me look bad. But if he fails... Everybody knows I was God's man if he hurt me. Can you get more on Christ like than that? Ain't that convicting? He said, we saw this woman in John 15, you want to produce the fruit, continue with love. His fruit says, I promote somebody else above my own self. And that makes me like him. You know what that does to me? That puts me in a That puts me in a low point in how I see myself. That kind of fruit doesn't feel good, but it gives glory to God and brings joy to my heart, man. Nothing brought more joy to my heart than trying to learn to let stuff go. And you know what? I don't care. It ain't worth the dryness. It just isn't worth it. You can get hurt in church, but you can also get hurt by the world. Something makes a breach in here, and he's in verse number 10. He's talking about these enemies that are reproaching him. Why are you letting your enemies get in your mind? Why are you worrying about what other people say? No wonder you're dry. But don't you? I love reading through David's Psalms, man. It's, it's just so encouraging in my heart because he's like, let not my enemy triumph over me. Man, I feel that way, you know? <laughs> I get it, man. I understand. But you folks, why are we worrying about our enemies? Jesus didn't. You know, God took his enemies and used them to bring your salvation. You get that, don't you? God used the enemies of Jesus Christ to wash you in the blood of the Lamb. Now that's power. So don't you think he can take care of your enemies and even use them for his glory and honor? Notice the last thing, if you would please. You and I get dry because we've been hurt by people. We get dry because we've been pouring ourselves out serving God, but we also get dry just because we need, we need the power of God. 
I think God allows me from time to time to get dry, even when everything's going wonderful, because it reminds me how bad I need God. Look at verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizzle. God doesn't put anything in this Bible by coincidence, anywhere. You can read through your Bible and go, well, that doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't know where Jordan is and Herman is and what all that. But everything in this Bible is there for a purpose and with a reason. There's pictures all throughout this Bible. You know where Herman is? It's in the northeast corner of Israel. It's the highest mountain in Israel. At the base of that mountain are some of the largest springs that come out from the bottom of that mountain and all the Levant and all that whole area. Some of the largest springs out there feed out of the bottom of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon gets about 60 inches of rainfall a year. So the water's just coming down in that mountain and flowing down that mountain. At the top of, of, of Mount Hermon, since it's so high, much of the year it sna stays snow-covered. And the breeze that comes across that mountain, bringing that cold air down, at times can be felt as far as the Dead Sea. Isn't that wild? Now, the coincidence of that is that God dwells in the north. He's way up there. And at the base of that mountain is the head of the Jordan River. Jordan River runs down the east side of Israel, and, and it's like a, it was an eastern barrier where God brought them and brought them across that Jordan into the promised land. You know where the Jordan River culminates? At the Dead Sea. You know where the Dead Sea is? I mean, that, that's the lowest point of all the land points on earth. I'm not talking about ocean. Of all the land points on earth, the lowest point is the Dead Sea, the lowest elevation. And the river of the lowest elevation, there's no river that has a lower elevation to it than the River Jordan. Isn't that weird? What's amazing is, from that mountain flows a steady stream of cool water. And that water lasts all the way down the eastern border of Israel, all the way to the Dead Sea. Are you getting the picture yet? You know what's amazing about that Jordan River? That's the river that Jesus Christ was baptized in. That's the river that Joshua had to cross to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. And it culminates at the Dead Sea. It culminates at your death. But even at your death, even at your lowest point, if you've got Almighty God, you can feel the cool breeze from that mountain coming down to calm you, to help you, to refresh you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Hey, God's been there already, and he's provided for you all the way to the dead. Amen. He brings the children of Israel to that river, the lowest river there is, the lowest point. And he says, now you're going to need some miraculous power and help for me to cross over that river and get into the promised land and begin fighting to get everything that I got for you. And God helps him cross that river. That Jordan River was such a rough terrain that it provided a natural barrier against their enemies. It was hard for their enemies to cross that Jordan River and come in there and take them out of the land. God has that whole thing set up as a picture of where your comfort, where your help, where your supply comes from. 
And as long as you stay with him and keep searching him and seeking him and telling him you need him and you want him, God, my soul is dry. God, I don't want to quit. God, I'm just hanging in here. I'm going through the motions. I feel like a hypocrite. The devil's telling me to quit. My mind's telling me to quit. I think I got a Bible verse that told me I need to quit. I think I'm just a hypocrite. God, I need you. God, I want you. Then as long as you stay by that brook, you get back to that river. You'll get down in there just like naming the leper and you'll get healed up of your problems. You'll get down in there where the Spirit of God came down and ascended on Jesus Christ. You will feel that cool breeze from now till death do you part. He'll carry you over that Jordan in your promised land and you'll dwell with him forever. You'll never be dry again. But if you quit at your dry point, you're never going to see all that God has for you. He lets us get to those low points because those low points test who and what we are. Those low points determine our character, determine our future. And at those low points, we find God in a way we never could have found him. Heads bowed and your eyes closed this evening. As the musician comes, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the pastor, but I want to just encourage you, if the Lord's speaking to your heart, if you're dry, why don't you step out tonight and ask God to help you? Why don't you come get a drink tonight? Don't wait. Why don't you come get a drink tonight? The Lord is there. He is good. He understands your situation. He has compassion on you. He has compassion on me. He understands our plight, and he wants to give you a cool drink. This revival this week has been set up and scheduled and, and all this. Pastor's not just doing this to try to fill time. He's doing this because he wants God to help you. He wants God to bless you. He wants you to get a drink. And I'm telling you, the world you're living in, the world you're trying to serve God in is trying to wear you out and dry you out. And we get down there, we get dry, we get deep, we get low, we get pressured. But if you'll get to that brook, you can get the energy you need to keep going. Pastor.